Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here again with Dan Rudman, and we are going to be talking about the topic of authority. Uh, authority. Um, what's our authority? Uh, who do we put our trust in? Uh, uh, how do we know what we know? Where do we uh, where do we really kind of uh, build our build our foundation? Where's our bedrock at? How do we come to uh, to believe something is true, and uh, where is our source of information? All these things are, are tied into this question of authority. And it, again, we—if you listen to the, our our last podcast, uh, which was on coveting, um, we said that coveting is kind of uh, seems to be an issue of the day. And likewise, this issue of authority seems to be the issue of the day. Uh, Dan, he'll talk about it a little bit later, but he says he likes to say that we're in a, an epistemological crisis. And epistemology is a kind of a fancy word. It's uh, it's a part of philosophy that's really just how do you know what you know? How do you know what's true? Um, and so the crisis is, well, how do we know what's true? How do we know what we know? And <laughs> what we know, is it right? <laughs> uh, can we know anything at all? Is anything even knowable at all? And that's kind of the epistemological crisis that we're in today. It's a, certainly a product of of postmodernism, uh, uh, basically this idea that there's an infinite amount of ways you can interpret the universe, and in that sense, you really nobody can really say confidently that that the way that they've interpreted interpreted the universe is is correct and the only way and the right way. Uh, and so we're in this crisis. Well, if everybody can just interpret the world differently, then well, we can know nothing for certain. And so nobody can say then that they have figured it out and. And that's kind of what we're in right now, and it's certainly a product of our, our postmodern culture. So the idea, though, is – and you know, we've been laboring this idea of presuppositions, these assumptions, these facts, these truths, whatever it may be that we take to the table that we have as our bedrock. And our ultimate presupposition is that the triune eternal God exists, uh, that he created all things, that he sustains all things, that – uh, and that he is indeed the ultimate authority in this universe. Uh, he was never created. He will never cease to exist. All things that do exist were created from him and for him. That is our ultimate presupposition. So therefore then, uh, our uh, authority is him, is God, is this triune God. And we also believe as a presupposition that he spoke uh, and that he revealed himself to us uh, in a special way through Scripture, also in a, you could say in a general way in creation, uh, but certainly in a special way or in a personal way in the Scriptures, in the Bible. So therefore then, logically, the conclusion would be then that the, his spoken word, his revealed word, which reveals who he is and who, what he uh, says is true about the universe, that would therefore then be our authority. So... We would like to say then, as our presuppositions that uh, are a part of our presuppositions, that the Bible is our authority in life. And so we'll kind of we'll hash that out a little bit more and how that practically applies to today and what we're going through today. Um, but I would like to kind of just frame the topic or frame this discussion uh, with a just a kind of a brief look back to Genesis with creation, uh, with Adam and Eve before sin even entered the world. And it's just an interesting thing to think about. Uh, here you have God, and as Genesis 1 says, he, he created everything from nothing. He spoke this world into existence, you know, let there be light. 
uh, in the beginning was God. <laughs> and so he was never created, but he created this universe from nothing. He spoke it into existence with the word, with his, uh, the power of his word. And he created man in his image. So he created Adam, and then he created Eve from Adam's rib, and he gave them life. He breathed, breathed the breath of life into them, and he made them living uh, beings. Uh, and because they were created in his image, they, they, uh, they had wills. They could make decisions. They could, uh, they could desire things. They had emotions. They had personalities. Uh, and they could know things. They could know God. They knew true things about the universe that they had that they lived in and that they were created in. And so, you know, we could we have to ask the question, why did God create the universe in the first place? And the Bible's clear that God created the universe for his glory, to display his glory, and he created humanity to know him and to worship him. And uh, this, this, this word know, it's an interesting word in the Hebrew, and really what it means or, uh, is that this, this word know, it, it, it encompasses... Uh, Every aspect of knowledge, not only intellectual, but also relational, also intimate, also personal knowledge. So that's why in the Old Testament we, we see this word know in reference to uh, marital intimacy. So Adam knew Eve or a- Abraham knew Sarah. It's, 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 it's connoting sexual intimacy. So it's really this, this knowledge is, is this deep, intimate, relational knowledge that affects every aspect of our being, our emotions, our wills, our desires, our, our knowledge, our intellect, all those things are wrapped up in this word know. So God created humanity. Uh, he created Adam and Eve to know him, to have a relationship with him, uh, to know him personally, uh, to to be in his presence, uh, to experience him, and certainly to know intellectual things about him. And so that's where Adam and Eve were in the garden they knew god they they had a personal experience with god they it even says that god walked in the garden with them they had this experience with god they knew him and everything that they knew about him was accurate it was true they didn't know everything about him meaning they didn't know him exhaustively but everything that they did know was correct or accurate again because this is before sin came into the world and again, everything that they experienced in the garden, whether it was a tree, whether it was animals, whatever, if it was a waterfall or a river, if they looked up at the sky, whatever they saw, it was giving them information about who God is. And it gave them accurate information about who God is. And so they looked at a tree and they, they knew that this tree was created by God for God and, and that it, you know, it, it displayed some aspect of who God is. And it, and it was, again true information and they correctly interpreted this information to the glory of God and that was their purpose and that's why they existed and it caused them to worship God and so that's why that's why we human beings exist uh, and and here's this interesting thing though and this is where it gets back to this issue of authority God is the authority he is the source of all truth and all knowledge and now we have a, a, a third player coming into the garden well we could say a fourth we have adam and eve uh god and now satan enters the narrative of genesis and enters into the garden and he's coming to tempt uh eve and he tempts eve uh and and basically questions god's word questions god's authority questions god's goodness and his generosity and and basically uh 
basically kind of flips it on her and says, well, did, did, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of the trees of the garden? And she said, no, we can eat of all the trees. We just can't eat of this tree or touch it. God never said that Eve or Adam couldn't touch this tree, but he's starting to put a seed of doubt in Eve's mind. And then Eve is left at a very interesting predicament or a very interesting situation she's left in. Here you have God who has spoken to her, who has revealed knowledge to her, and it's all accurate and it's all right and it's all authoritative because God has created all things. He is the source of truth and knowledge. And she has every reason to trust God and trust his word. Every reason. He has literally spoke her out of nothing. He is her creator. And she knows this accurately, truthfully. But now this other person comes, this this this, this uh, fallen angel, Satan, and he puts a seed of doubt in her. And he gives her a different word that contradicts what God says. And changes it a little bit. It's a little bit off. And now... This is the interesting thing. Now Eve is left in this kind of middle ground, having to weigh the word of God and having to weigh the word of Satan. And when she does this, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to see, but what, when she does this, she becomes the ultimate authority. Because now what she's done is she's put the word of God and the word of Satan on the same playing field. They're at the same level. Uh, let's just say 50-50. This, uh, Satan's word might be true, uh, God's word might be true. Okay, which one is true? Now I, Eve, this finite creature, am having to le- having, I'm left having to decide which one is right. But when you take that position of having to decide which one is right, you ultimately you 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 become the ultimate authority, and you think you somehow have the power to decide what's right and what's wrong. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's telling the truth? Who's not? But again, that's just crazy because she already knows that God created everything. He is he has ultimate authority. He is the source of truth. Everything is is pointing to him. And this other creature, Satan, he's a created being. He's like me in a sense, creatures. And we cannot question God. Our ultimate presupposition is that God exists and that he speaks truthfully. And she had every reason to to trust that and know that. Uh and so that is the issue. Right there. And that's what, after the fall, and obviously that led to the fall of man, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they were pushed out of the garden. They were separated from God. But now every human being, in a sense, is left doing that. When we're born into this world, we do that. We think we have the ability to to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's true and what's not. And we, we ultimately become our own authorities. We become uh, the authority of our life. Uh, I, have the, I have the power to decide what's true for me or what's not true for me, what's, what I will believe or what I will not believe, or blah, 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 blah. And it goes down, it goes down, and it's kind of just where we're left at today. Here we are. Uh, I'm going to decide to interpret the world how I want to interpret it. And, and that really means that I think that I'm the ultimate authority. And it just kind of the buck stops with me. So that's that's kind of this epistemological crisis we're in right now. And you could say nothing's new under the sun. It's been the crisis of man from the very beginning. What's what's man's authority? Uh, how does he determine what's true and what's not true? Uh, is is he the one? Is he the only one that that uh, can really determine these things? Is is his senses? Is man's five senses really? Uh, 
his only uh, source of gaining knowledge and correctly interpreting the world, and it's just left with him. Uh, that's kind of these questions that we're having when it comes to authority. Um, but that's kind of an introduction into this crisis or into this topic. Uh, I'll give it over to Dan to, to shed some more light on this, <laughs> this issue, this topic, this crisis that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I call it a crisis because I, I <clears throat> just adding to what Sam said, you'll see this all over our, um, our culture in conversations. People will say, so-and-so said this, or yeah. this person with this PhD is an expert in XYZ. And have you read their material? And have you read this? Um, and again, I'm just trying to flesh this out a little bit. It's similar to um, when you think of like uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay, they sure. they have an authority. It's called the Watchtower. It's yep. it's who they put their trust in as the final authority, meaning like who gets the final say. Mm, or mm-hmm. the other way to think of it is who? What's the first premise that you begin with when you start any conversation? What's, what's the beginning mm-hmm. point? What's the first domino? Sometimes I think of it like a domino effect. Yep. Like everything you think is because you thought something before that, you saw something before that. And if you went back far enough, you'd become to a beginning point. That you said, here's the beginning point of this conversation. And that beginning point sets the whole thing up, sets up the whole direction of where you're going to end up and where you're going to go. Yeah. And, uh, that's that's you know I'm just giving you ideas of how I think about it like what what is my uh, what is my beginning point if I'm going to have a conversation about something, and so it's just interesting to me uh, as you talk about Genesis actually Genesis one three God says God spoke everything into existence, yeah and so um, when I think of this I think of you know God actually communicated that's the point mm. uh, words didn't begin with men words began with God. Communication mm-hmm. began with God. Knowledge begins with God. Mm. Uh, and it's not like God plucked it out of the sky. God is the ultimate communication. He is knowledge. Uh, right. And, and then he spoke this into existence. So even just, again, just picking up a couple of things you said, when we talk about, we talk about special revelation, and I want to get to that and show that to you in your Bible here in a moment. But we have these two different revelations we tend to speak of. We, we say there's a special revelation and we say there's a general or a natural revelation. And again, some people listening to this may be familiar with these terms, but I'm just trying to uh, summarize them for those that aren't familiar with that. But when you think of special, we think supremely of, the, of, of Jesus who actually showed up on earth and walked on the earth. He is like the ultimate revelation of God. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. God in the flesh standing right before your eyes. And of course, Jesus uh, affirmed, confirmed, affirmed, and spoke and very clearly um, referred to the Word of God all the time. And that is this special revelation, revealing special of God, is His Word, the Word yep. of God. And, now, and I'll, I'll go to that here in a minute and show that to you. But, but the other side of it is this what we call general or natural revelation. And we tend to think of it as out in, out in the air, like we see things that make sense. You know, uh, as we look at yep. the world, it looks like somebody's been messing around. It looks like there's, <laughs> you know, you do. You look up and you see constellations. Yeah, there's some order here. <laughs> yeah, there's order here. There's a lot of these things we see. But also in, in light of general revelation, I always refer to, and I think we did in other podcasts, there's stuff written in our hearts. There's just stuff we cannot not know. Yeah. And, and so uh, God made us to know him. God made us to know of the existence of God. That's, that's, like, that's actually wired within us. Mm-hmm. And so even to have a discussion about 
uh, the idea like somehow we have to prove the existence of God. I understand those conversations and I answer those sometimes, but everybody actually already knows it's written in their heart. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's Romans 1. Yeah, and Romans 1 actually says you have to suppress this knowledge. You have to try to... Yeah, yeah. And the idea is like holding down a spring. That's actually the, the word suppress is the idea of if anybody's ever worked with a spring, like you got to fight it because it wants yeah. to do the opposite. And so you literally have to explain this kind of knowledge that's intuitive within your being away. You have to try to get rid of it. Right. And so when you look at the history of the world, any anthropological study, meaning a study of humanity, a civilization, you find people who, if you, you want to say it, are religious and spiritual everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't find atheists. You don't find atheists in the jungle. I kind of joke about that. Like, you don't go to find an ancient civilization and find they're atheistic. <laughs> right. The only place you find atheists are in a, uh, the academy where you work all day to try to explain it all away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you have to do. So, so these, this is the idea of special and natural revelation. Now, the, the fascinating part about it is that um, the special revelation, that is the word of God, Okay, this is another part of this that's all fun to get at. It's like when you go to the Word of God, you go to the Scriptures, the 66 books of Scriptures. God, uh, the claim being made there is that God's actually speaking to us. He's actually Mm -hmm. communicating to us. He's actually communicating us with real knowledge. He's actually bringing real knowledge to us and giving it to us revealing it to us. He's condescended, as we've talked before. He can, we're not stuck down at the bottom trying to figure out what God is. God comes to us and says, here it is. I'm going to give this to you. That's the claim we're making. And what's really fascinating, I'm just thinking of special in general, um, is that this special knowledge God gives fits, fits the real natural general revelation knowledge that's apparent in the world. So when I say real, I mean the real world. Like I live in a real physical world. I can look outside the window of my office today and there's real trees and there's a real world. And it works a certain way. Gravity works. I can say I don't believe in gravity, but you can't defy it. Mm -hmm. You can't defy Mm -hmm. it. You can't defy that I was born with a certain DNA. I'm a male. I I can try to change the body parts. It's not going to work. It's like you know, and that's a huge cultural discussion today. But there's certain things that you just can't defy. You can't, you push up against and you can't go any further because it is yeah, the yeah. way it is. Okay, well, and what? go ahead. Oh, well, I was just saying, what do you, and I know you've interacted with this before. What what happens when you have a guy saying, well, well, what if it's just like a, you're just living in some like dream or something. You're in a dream war and it's not actually real and you're just imagining this this reality that actually doesn't exist. Or what if you're just like some... I, I maybe some philosophers have said before, like you're just some uh, uh, some demons just cr- controlling this reality, and it's kind of like the Matrix, and you're really just yeah. locked up in this thing, and it's not a real world type of thing. Yeah, that, um, that would be one of the one of the options for something you could believe, right? So right, and you know my answer to that. I, I, right, I, I know that's why I kind of oh, play. Oh, put you're it playing out there. with me? Yeah, I had a conversation <laughs> yeah. with a group of college students one night at a sports bar grill where I go regularly and talk to people about this stuff. And we were meeting and the young guy there was trying to convince me that everything's an illusion. Yeah. Yeah. And I I finally kind of got frustrated to be honest with you. And I said, okay, that's it. And I grabbed the guy by the arm. I said, we're, we're going out in front of this bar, the sports grill I was in. There was this like, think of a highway. I mean, it wasn't like a expressway freeway kind of thing, but you know, it's 45 mile an hour highway or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Main road. 
And I said, you're going to go out in the middle of that road and you're going to stand there as all the cars are coming at you. And you're, you're going to tell me that it's all an illusion and you're not yeah. going to, and you're not going to move, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the point. Nobody lives that way. You can sit around, same thing, behind some halls of academia and have that conversation, but nobody lives that way. Right. Exactly. And all I, my point is we're locked up in a real world. Yes, that's what I, that's what yep. I mean. That's what I mean by a real world. I, you can say it's all an illusion. You're not going to stand in front of those cars and let them come at you and hit you and say, oh, it's just an illusion. Mm-hmm. You live mm-hmm. as though something actually exists. Yep. OK. And you live as though something. In fact, there's 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 a number of things. You live as though something exists. You everybody lives with what's called the law of non-contradiction. That is, if I have left it's not the right. If I have the right, it's not the left. A is A. A is not non-A. It just basically means yep. if I'm saying something, I don't mean the opposite of what I'm saying. And, <laughs> yeah. I know it's, it's, it's sort of simple and it can confuse people, but it's really, it's just, we all live this way. When I communicate right. with you, you assume I'm not meaning the opposite of what I'm saying. Or again, if, I, if I'm going one direction, I'm not going the opposite direction. It's called the law of non-contradiction. Right. I, can't, right. I can't do both in the same way in the same time, same relationship. It's, it doesn't work that way. So, we all live as though something exists. We all live with a law of non-contradiction because I live in a real world that works that way. We mm-hmm. all live that as though somewhere in our thinking there are final absolute realities. You could say absolutes, objective mm-hmm. things that I go, that's the final stopping point right there. Yep. And then we all live, and I'm going to get to this in a moment here, but we all live by faith. That is, we all live by yep. trust and stuff. Okay. And this gets to this area of epistemology and final authority. Okay, Mm. and here's what it is. Everybody has to decide. If you go back far enough, you've got to come to this beginning point that's a self-existence beginning point that there's clues about, there's evidences out there that point to this. But at the end of the day, you have to come to this and say, okay, I by faith am going to put my trust that that exists. That's Mm. the beginning Mm -hmm. point. And so um, as Christians, we say that that, beginning point is the personal infinite triune God. And we have Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons for believing that, by the way. Mm -hmm. But even with all the evidences and the reasons, the pieces that we put together that are reasonable, we say there's reasonable, there's enough reason here, you could say it that way, for me to trust that that is true. Mm -hmm. So it's not throwing your brain out the window and making some blind uh, silly leap into something. It's like, no, I'm putting my trust there because it makes sense to put my trust there. So right. I, I put my trust in this personal, infinite, triune God. We say omni-God, complete, limitless God. Uh, at the same time, we know that he spoke to us. And so we say, and I believe he spoke to us. I believe, he, I, mm-hmm. I believe that he actually gives us real knowledge that we can know. And he wants mm-hmm. us to know, okay? So... Um, we all do that. We all we all believe something exists. We all operate as though as law of non-contradiction. We all operate as though there's these final absolute final uh, absolute premises, objectives, realities, and we all um, operate by faith. We put our trust in something. Right. So, um, uh, I think of I think of uh, an atheist friend of mine who I have conversa- I've had numerous conversations with. Uh, and he would believe in what he calls first principles. So when I ask him about the law of non-contradiction, I'm like, well, you know, you, you, you operate every day, Michael, as though the law of non-contradiction is real. He said, well, yeah, I do. It's a first principle. I said, okay, so a first principle. It means it's floating out in space out there somewhere, and you, we, we now have it here, 
but you don't really know where it comes from. It was just kind of there, kind of wo- yeah. woven into something of the universe. And, and so, again, he's doing the same thing I'm doing. He's by faith saying it's just floating around out there. Now, I don't think that's a good reasonable conclusion, though, by the way. I, the way I liken that is like if, I were, if you, you think all we have is a physical world, which is what this friend of mine tends to believe, we live in a materialistic physical world. Mm-hmm. There's no supernatural. And I say, well, if that's the case, think of it like this. Sometime there was like a candle burning. You light a candle. Now, that's an impersonal force. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's impersonal, meaning it's just a chemical reaction. Now, yeah. we're not talking about how it got lit, which took a person to light it, but all sorts of other questions. But it's technically, at the end of the day, it's this chemical reaction happening before my eyes, right? And right. so then I say, well, with this, with this non-personal, physical, chemical reaction happening before my eyes, at what point out of that candle comes, you shall not lie, you know, more, moral tr- yeah. truths, you shall not commit adultery, uh, right. the, the law of non-contradiction. Like, right, like, Lo- logic. So you're assuming that this non-personal, material-only physical world spit this stuff out. <laughs> And so that's his final authority, though. That's the point. He trusts in his reason to the degree that he wants to. Uh, He trusts that these things were out there. And he just uses them every day as though they just kind of showed up. Yeah. And see, and my claim is, well, no, I think the law of non-contradiction comes from the fact that God actually exists. Yes. And the opposite of God existing would be he doesn't exist. So the mm-hmm. first domino in mine isn't like I just pluck it out of the air. My first domino in the whole stream going back is that, no, God actually exists. I don't even need to go any further than that. All I got to do is say, God actually exists. And the opposite of that would be he doesn't exist. So the very fact that he exists kind of sets up the first premise of the law of non-contradiction, if that makes sense. So, exactly. So I get all these things from the reality of a personal infinite triune God who's actually there. Yes. Personality, moral law, reasoning. And it, and it, and it all fits cohesively together. That's, that's the point. Sense. That's the point. It all makes sense to me that it comes from a personal infinite being. Right. Now we can debate. And, and just, to, just to clarify you, like let's just say the atheist, okay, his first domino is God does not exist. Right. And then you would have to go, okay, now we have all these things that we experience in this reality, yeah. such as the law of non-contradiction, which he says, yeah, yeah. I use it. Okay. But that does not make sense coming from your first domino. Right. Whereas the law of contra- non-contradiction makes sense from my first domino that God does yeah. exist yeah. and that he is an ordered and yeah. non-contradictory God. Right. So we could talk about justice. We could talk about morality, uh, yep. you know, existence, uh, alienation, why I feel the things I do or don't feel the things I do, mm-hmm. and all these sorts Feelings of Feelings of guilt, uh, Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, where, where's all that come from? It doesn't come from a material world. And so it just... Right. But by faith, you're holding that. I get it. So just acknowledge that by faith, that's what you're holding. And so I press yeah. him on that, right? Okay. So as the Christian, though, I really believe like the first premise is God himself and that God actually spoke to us and he gave us his word. And so there's a number of places I can go, but like one I, I enjoy going to is like Luke 24, mm-hmm. where uh, there's this road to, the men on the road to Emmaus. 
might be a familiar passage to some people, but if I were just to quickly say it, like, you know, Jesus has resurrected, the word's spread out there that maybe he's alive and people are confused, but these two guys are walking to this road of Emmaus, which is a number of miles from Jerusalem, and they're walking. And the fascinating thing is you get to uh, 24, verse 16, or actually 15, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, comes walking up to them to talk to them. And the scriptures say in verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And so somehow in the capacity of this great infinite God that we have, uh, he kept them from recognizing who Jesus was. Uh, the, the actual text there is like, not that they closed their eyes or that they did something. It's something done to them. That is, their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus. Right. So they didn't know that who they were walking with. Well, they begin to have this conversation about what happened in Jerusalem. And they were, he said, hey, guys, what are you guys talking about? Of course, Jesus knew the whole story. And he let them just kind of talk about the story and how this Jesus had showed up and claimed to be these things. But then they killed him and he's, you know, he was dead. And this one they had their hope in wasn't the real deal after all because he's dead. But lo and behold, you know, some of the women that morning went to a tomb and found them alive. And now the word <laughs> spreading of this thing we now call the resurrection, right? Well, the fascinating thing then is that then um, at that point uh, in the story, um, Jesus uh, says in verse 25, O foolish men, he calls them fools, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. So he, he looks at them and says, you know, you have these Old Testament prophets. At this point, we don't have a writing of a New Testament, okay? He's talking about the Old Testament prophets from what we think of as the Old Testament. And he says, uh, you're so fool. You guys are foolish. You, you haven't believed. You, you don't believe what, what they have already spoken about. Right. You, you, haven't, you don't believe that this is real. And so, and he goes on, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer and to enter his glory? He begins to talk about the sufferings of Christ, the, the, his entering his glory. He talks about the Messiah. And, of course, when Jesus was on the earth for um, those prior three years, he did this all the time. He was always referring to to the scriptures as the very word of God. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we could we would have to, have to get into all that with you, but he, does, he, he did do that all the time. So then verse 27 says, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. So he shows them that in this Old Testament, again, that's what we call it, they would have the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Tanakh, the, it was called Moses and the prophets. You know, they, yep. they had these writings. Um, he, he showed them that in there were all these truths about the Messiah, that this one who would come. And uh, he's showing about him, himself in there, okay? So uh, then the story goes, they approached the village. They kept walking after he had done this. Now, they had been walking for miles, so who knows how long it had taken for him to kind of review the Old Testament with them. Uh, then they, they, they invite him to come eat with them. At this point, they still don't recognize who he is. And... So he sits down with them, and it says he took uh, bread and blessed it, and he began giving it to, to them. And then verse 31, then their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. It's not something they did. Their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. So all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we know who this is now. It's the risen Christ. He's just appeared to us. And, yeah. that, and then verse 32 is the, is the real, real uh, 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 key passage here. He says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while 
he was explaining the scriptures to us. So that story clearly, like you would think, like the most profound thing that they could experience is Jesus walking up and going, here I am, guys, I'm alive. Yep. Well, it's not what he did. <laughs> he, he walked up and prevented them from having that experience, if you will, of the risen Christ mm-hmm. until he showed them that this whole thing unfolded in the scriptures. The scriptures became the authority, not even their experience of Jesus became the authority. Right. You see, that's the point. And now we could go down. There's more that goes, and he, he appears. They run back down to Jerusalem. He appears to the guys. He shows them his hands, his feet. He eats with them. But then you drop down, and you look at verse 44 in the same passage, and clearly God's trying to tell us something here. He goes on after he did all these miracles, showed himself to everybody. Everybody's in this room. Everybody's gathered. He says, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things which are written about me in Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so it's this uh, fascinating picture that what God has given us, and and again, we would have to take more time and we could, but Jesus even did this in his own earthly ministry. He always referred to the Word of God. The Word of God, the God, God, the living God of the universe actually spoke to us. That's our authority. Mm. That's the authority. And so um, this is what Jesus was doing in Luke 24, right down to the resurrection. In this case, the way he unfolded this, he prevented them from having an experience with him until they tied it to the Scriptures. That's the right. point. And the other, the other passage I'd take to you, too, that's another fascinating one is Second Peter chapter yep. 1. Where a similar a similar uh, uh, theological truth is laid before us, you go to verse sixteen, and Peter is saying. Now remember, Peter would have been in that original group, and he, yep. if you will, he got it. If you could say it that <laughs> right, way, he right. got it. And now we're down the road here, and he's writing, and he said, "You know, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you." Again, this is Second Peter chapter one, verse sixteen, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, meaning God the Father, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, they talk about this experience of them seeing this, right? Mm-hmm. And this what is he talking about there? Yeah, this, would, this is going back to Luke 9 in the Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John were up on the mountain, and they, for the moment, it was like this, boop, all of a sudden the cloud was pulled aside, and they could see the glory (laughs) of of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the living Christ standing before them, and they got this glimpse into his glory and who he really was. Right. And then it was like, boop, the curtain was pulled back, closed, and he was right back to the Jesus they knew standing there before him. Well, they got got knocked out, didn't they? What in a sense. Well, yeah, I mean... yeah. <laughs> they yeah. woke up later <laughs> and and uh well they saw Elijah and Moses too right. and, and right. then they basically just got like knocked out and should then they we, woke should, up later. Should, and should we build Jesus some there. tents for them or something? It was like boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but here's the point of this passage. For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance of this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. In other words, they're saying, Hey, we were there and we saw the glory yep. of Christ. 
And we heard this voice from God the Father. Yep. And 18 says, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So they had this incredible experience of hearing the very voice of God, literally, of a literal voice. But look what they say in verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Now, th- he goes down and he says this. But know the first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay, right. so here's the point. When he says this prophetic word, there's actually, in the original language, there's a couple ways you could take this. Number one, we heard this voice, and it did nothing but confirm the reality that we've been given this prophetic voice of the Old Testament. That's one mm-hmm. way you could take that. The other way you could take it is we have something even more sure, and that's yeah. this prophetic word that we're holding before us right here. Even though we heard this voice from God, all that did was confirm and give us even something more sure. And what the more sure is, is this scripture. Yep, yep. Which is fascinating because here we are sitting here, Sam, in 2020, opening this thing up. And God's ordained means to speak to you, to speak to me. I'm here in my office behind closed doors. God can actually speak to me this day. I don't have to go to a special place, a special temple, go to a special priest. I I literally can open this up and say, God, would you speak to me? And God can speak to me right here. And he speaks. And he speaks. Yes. And and there's a, uh, I can't remember who the quote was from, but some famous preacher when the bible speaks god speaks yeah right and it, it's it's true it's like when i open my bible yep and i read these words god is speaking yes so this is when we're talking about this discussion of authority we're talking about again think what we talked about earlier what is what is my first premise what am i going to start in any of my conversations well i start with a good god who's the omni god who has the complete capacity to communicate with me anytime he wants. And his ordained means, his ordained means, I want to keep saying that, his means to communicate with me supremely is the scriptures. Right. He chose it that way. And through propositions, sentences, paragraphs, words. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stuff that I can actually know. And again, again, just like what you started with, it's not exhaustive. But it's right. it's complete. It's full. It's sufficient. Sufficient's a yeah. big one. Like all I need for my life in godliness is this scripture, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's and it's so utterly important. And so, with that, what some of what we're talking about uh, when we talk about a you you've heard me use the word I always say epistemological crisis because I hear it all the time. In a yeah. po- po- and we we can't get into this. People would have to go back to maybe even listen to our past podcasts or do some reading. But there's this idea in our postmodern times, the times we're living in that are postmodern, that we really can't know truth. We're kind of either mm. locked up in our bias, uh, the message doesn't get through clear. And so people, what I find is that leaves people adrift in mm. their soul. Like, what can I know? How can I go? Where do I go for the final analysis, the final mm. truth? How can I find something? And people scramble looking for that. And so people will say, well, so-and-so says this, or did you read this book? Or this person has this PhD. Uh, everybody's looking for the expert. Everybody's looking for, like, where do I go to the final answer? 
Now, the, obviously, we're living in this postmodern world that says you really can't get to a final answer. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you have then you have views called um, like a standpoint epistemology. That is like depending on where you stand, if you're a guy or a girl or a guy from a certain ethnic group or a girl from a certain ethnic group or certain desires or certain whatever, you see it differently than everybody else because nobody can actually get to it. You see? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, yeah, that, and you you just have a unique perspective, a unique lens at which you view the world, and and that's it. And you can't uh, somebody else can't share that with you, right? In a sense, exactly. And and, and see, that's so contrary to the world that God created. It's so yeah. contrary to what God, when Jesus showed up, demonstrated for us and pointed us to. He said, "Okay, mm. here's your final authority. It's my word." And it's something outside of ourselves. Outside of ourselves. And here, it, it's it's my word. I'm going to speak to you and communicate with you in real propositions and real things. Now, yeah, we look at the evidences of that. Let me just say one other thing about this. Somebody will say, well, yeah, but Dan, but don't you, at the end of the day, still have to operate by, by faith, by trust? Well, yeah. I, I would say absolutely. <laughs> but everybody has to do that. That's my point. If you're the athe- yeah. atheistic scientist, you have to, by faith, accept something. You're starting oh, with something. Yeah. Either your mind works perfectly, which I don't trust my mind to work perfectly. Uh, no way. We, we could go there. Or you're trusting, again, like you're pulling something out of the air. First principles. Um, there's people that will trust, say, the Watchtower. There are people, people who will trust uh, Roman magisterium. There well, will be well pe- Mormonism, is a, they, they trust this, this subjective feeling. Yeah, this burning in their bosom. That, but the, the, yeah, bo- yeah but exactly. They, but even then, they have a written authority called the, you know, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the Book of yeah, Mormon. Book of Mormon. They, they, yep. they have their... And you, you, everybody does this. You find this. It's yeah. really interesting. In fact, it's really interesting to me how this works. Is that when they're when pe- people don't think of it this way, but they're looking for a final authority, right? Mm. And in the religious world, they're 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 looking for somebody to go. Okay, well, there's the final authority. Now, if you could find a final authority that's been around a really really long time, that's that's more sure than a current authority. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 here's what I find interesting in these religious systems. You find people that they look to for religious authority, and they wear these costumes. And the costumes say, I have authority because I'm dressed up in this costume. And so you go, yeah, to, yeah. You go to like the, the Islamic imam and they're wearing some outfit that they would have been very similar to they wore, you know, uh, back in 600 or 700 yeah, yeah. or 800. Because that somehow by putting on that costume makes me the authority. <laughs> you find the same thing in all sorts of religious places. It's really comical to yeah, me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like if I wear this outfit, this costume... Well. <laughs> I now am the authority, and I'm like, well, and it, <laughs> but so so what I'm I, all I'm trying to say without making light of all that, I'm simply trying to make a point. Every one of us, every person sitting there right now, listening to my voice, our our voice, Sam, everybody in the world, doesn't matter who you are, has to come to a decision, if you will, if you want to be a thinking person, you have to say, I'm going to put my trust in this authority. And so, yep, and uh, when you do that. When you do that, when you're putting trust in authority, it's not... Now, you could just make it an empty trust. Well, I'm just going to do it because I'm going to do it. Yeah, like the flying spaghetti monster. Yeah, yeah, you, you can do that if you want. <laughs> There's actually a religious cult called yeah. the flying spaghetti monster it's cult. Me- it's in its, but it's, been, it's meant to be a mockery, isn't it? I mean, Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, right. It's just the point of like, look, I can just put my trust in something Whatever that I want. has no reason. Well, yep. we're not really doing that. We're looking at what's called evidences. 
evidence yeah. is there's there's pieces for why I put my trust in this. Right. That's reasonable. And I piece those and here's the other thing, I piece those evidences together in a coherent pattern. They they seem to mm-hmm. fit together, these evidences do. And mm-hmm. then at some point I do say, okay, I'm gonna step into trusting this, the evidences that piece together and give me this view. And I trust it and step into it. And then once you step into it, you find out, oh, yeah, I have even more reason to trust it now because it holds me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So the, what, I, what I compare that to is like getting in a jet plane, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about mm-hmm. aerospace engineering, but I kind of look at a jet and I go, you know, it's not on fire and it's got wings and it looks like it's holding me. <laughs> and, and, and there's a system. Uh, you're laughing at me. There, there's a well, yeah. Well, and I know there's there's a <laughs> that's your criteria. Oh, this jet's not on fire. I think it'll fly me. Yeah, right. You know, but but basically, from the little bit I know, right, and I I trust that I have a government system that that kind of regulates the person flying. And well, they, and you might know a lot of people that have also been on jets that they're right. still alive. <laughs> so this is my point. You stack the evidence up in your mind, whatever evidence that is, and then you piece it together and you say, okay, this makes sense that I think I can get on this plane. And then yeah. when you sit down in that plane, you're demonstrating faith. You're saying, I'm yeah. trusting this thing to carry me. Now, what, ha- what happens is when that thing lifts off, carries you halfway around the world, which I've done numerous times, and then it lands, what's very interesting is that two things happen. One, your faith grows, meaning like you have more of a reason to trust planes because you just saw it work. Yeah. And secondly, you even have more reason. Your reason increases too, because now you have another piece of evidence on the table. Mm-hmm. I did mm-hmm. it once and it worked. You see? Mm-hmm. And so faith and faith and reason work together. It's mm-hmm. not one against the other. It's like they work together. Right. So you could say, right. I have a reasonable trust. I have a reasonable faith. I trust things because it's reasonable to do such. Yeah. Yeah. And so the bigger discussion I think you wanted to have here today, though, is that what well, I'm trying to emphasize here, and then, you know, maybe there's a bunch of questions that need to unfold, but everybody has to come to the conclusion where they're going to put their trust and what's going mm-hmm. to be the beginning point of my trust. And as a Christian, uh, I come to the place, again, we've said it numerous times, I believe in a personal, infinite, triune God that actually exists, and I believe he communicated with us. Mm-hmm. He speaks. He's not silent. He actually communicates with us. He actually gives us a revelation. He actually gives me knowledge I can actually know Yep, and um, and now I I look at that, I study it, I ask God to speak to me through that as He opens it up to me and it makes clear to me. That's another doctrine we'd have to talk about. It's called illumination. But the Holy Spirit, yeah. act, because this is God's ordained communication, the Holy Spirit actually comes alongside of that, if you want to say it that way, and opens it up to me, reveals right. it to he, me. He, he, he yeah, opened, the he, Spirit not only inspired it and carry as Second Peter one said, carried along these yeah. these prophets. Uh, as God spoke to them, right. but He also now to the to the one He seals and, and and dwells. Now He illuminates this inspired word of His to this person, right? To understand it, right? So right. this just becomes really important because for a lot of reasons, obviously. But one of the things that we're seeing today that happens a lot, we just and you and I talked about it this morning. I see it once again, is that we have these other fields of study of academic study uh, prominent today are. Uh, social science, the social sciences, particularly like sociology, and then you could say psychology. You could say, uh, um, what's the word? Political. What's the academic field? My mind just went blank. 
political science. Political science. Political science, right. (laughs) I was going to say political science. (laughs) Yeah, political science, sociology, psychology. And what happens is you have this whole field of study. Let's say sociology. It's one of my nemesis. It drives me nuts. (laughs) Well, it drives me nuts because it's, it's, it's a worldview. It's a system of thought. Yeah. It's called the social sciences, and you have this field called sociology. Well, sociology, its first premise, its first premise isn't the personal infinite God and God speaking. Its first premise is autonomous man. Yeah. And Explain start, that again. What's that? Explain autonomous man again. Well, just man, you're sitting here out in space by yourself, and there's you're yeah, not yeah. connected to God. There's no other revelation. It's just you. And starting from you and what a human yep. person is, we're going to extrapolate out all sorts of of yeah, yeah, yeah. ideas. Yeah. So the idea is then you look at different studies and different things of people groups and different studies, and you draw these conclusions, these interpretations of what you're seeing. Mm. And the problem isn't necessarily like the evidences that you're finding, because you are seeing particular evidences that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously finding evidences are only good as the study that you put together, which has, it's all another whole discussion of all its interpretations wound into how you even came up with the study but you come up with these evidences and now you have to interpret these evidences and once you interpret them the problem is is you begin to interpret them in light of autonomous man yeah here here just i'm gonna put a pause on you and just i want to read a part of first second peter one again and just listen to how closely this sounds uh, verse 20, knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God. So he's kind of, in a sense, that yeah. sounds very similar to the sociology thing. We start with the will of man, and then we interpret the world, and Peter's saying, no, that's not what this is. That's not what scripture's I- right. Scripture is. It's right. not man starting with himself and interpreting the world. Right. So no prophecy starts with man's interpretation. So the problem is today in our postmodern world, it's like the, the, the premier field of study, the priests of our day are sociology, yeah. sociologists. <laughs> and it, what drives me, so here's what drives me nuts. Like, I'm not saying that a person doesn't do a study and come up with an interesting piece of evidence about this population of people. Yeah. Like, I get that. Okay. But what begins to happen is you begin to build an interpretation around that evidence. Mm -hmm. And then that interpretation around that evidence gets added to another piece of evidence with more interpretation and more interpretation and more interpretation. Mm. And you end up with a completely worldview that seems that that you then, without saying it, but it becomes your authority. Yeah, and you impose it on other people That's and on it. this and on that. That's it. So it and be- let's impose it on religion now. Let's impose it on there. Christianity so, now. So it becomes the lens by which you look through and interpret other things. Yep. And what we're saying with this issue of authority, when I say epistemological crisis, on and on and on, I say, no, 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 no. I want to start with my scriptures. Mm. I want want to say, let's open up my scriptures and let's let's come up with my scriptures informing me on XYZ topic. And Mm. let me look at what God says about this topic. And then with that lens... I want to use that lens to interpret the evidences that are out there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm after. That's what we're after because I want to say, I want to start with the authority that God has spoken to me. Yeah. And what I find so often then is that while people may say they're doing a biblical interpretation, they're using the lens, say, of sociology or psychology or whatever 
to interpret yes, to inter yeah. to interpret the scripture. And I like to say today, a lot of people are put the social justice lens on, and now they're reading the Bible with a social justice lens. Yeah, well, exactly. That's where that ends up by happening. And so, in a sense, what this other field of study becomes is another canon of scripture. Yep. It becomes. Oh, have you read so and so? Have you read this sociologist? Have you read this book? Have you read White Fragility? Yeah, it's exactly. Like... It's like I can't read my Bible and come up with this without reading this other book. And here's the interesting thing. I'm going to put a little piece of clarification again because, okay, we have this 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 uh, discipline. We, we we call it hermeneutics. How how do you interpret the Bible? What are the, what's the science or the art of biblical interpretation? How do we interpret it correctly? And we have all these principles to help us interpret the Bible. And, and, and you could say one principle is, hey, we, we learn the original language because the Bible was written in Hebrew uh, and Greek primarily. And there's a little bit of Aramaic in there. Now, so you could say in principle is learn the language because obviously, uh, uh, you know, it's helpful just to, to know the, the original language. You get that. Oh, okay, another principle is, okay, learn the cultural, the context around when these when these these uh, scriptures were written, uh, learn the genre that's being written. All these different principles that we that help us correctly interpret it. Now, the the primary uh, reason that somebody interprets the scriptures wrong is that they bring in their own personal pre-understandings or biases into the scripture, and like Dan says, they read the scripture through that lens. So. <laughs> the thing is, is like people say, well, that's just your interpretation of Scripture. And my interpretation is this. And you hear that all the time. Okay, you say this is true about the Scriptures. You say this is what it is. But how do I know your interpretation is correct? Well, I interpret it this way. And the point is, is that actually, Scripture is actually pretty clear in a lot of places, especially in the things that we need to know. Uh, you could say that it's very clear on, on the gospel and the, these, these, the nature of God and who God is in these things, extremely clear. And if we would just read it clearly, we would, we would see this is very clear. This is what it's saying. When it becomes unclear is when we decide to put on a lens or put on some glasses from our own pre-understandings or our sociologist glasses, and now we read it, and now it becomes unclear. And, and, if that makes sense. I mean, do you have anything to add on that, Dan, when somebody says, well, that's just your interpretation? Well, yeah, there's this idea. See, again, we have to go back to a original presupposition, and that is that we really believe God is there and God actually speaks to us. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that there's a part that when we begin to question that, it's almost as if God's locked up in a box and wants to give us some information, but he can't do it. Yeah. And so I, I fully believe in a supernatural world where God speaks to me through his word. And you right. say, well, how do you know that? Well, I take that by faith. I do trust that. I trust that God has the complete capacity to lead me to his truth. Right. And that's what's so amazing for 2,000 years, more than 2,000 years, but 2,000 years specifically, if we think of the age of the church, uh, we have all these people, tribes, tongues, nations, who come to the same conclusions when they read this book. Yeah. And... Do we then, can we say that sometimes we overread something or underread something, meaning we don't put as much meaning into it as we should have or we miss something? Oh, yeah, that can happen. But we can't counter-read it. And, and, yeah. and we don't say I get to take my lens and put anything I want into it. <laughs> um, but that's <laughs> what I like this saying. What's that? Oh, I, I've heard it said, I read in a book, uh, uh, 
the word of God will never mean what it is never meant. Yeah, there so you the go. word of God will never mean what it what it has never meant. What it was so never intended to mean. You can't take your yeah. meaning and put it into it. Is the point right? You need to draw meaning the, out of it. So we work since it's a real document. It's a real stuff that God gave us again. Yeah. We go to it in a trust that God, through these real things, real grammar, real sentences, yeah. real context, real author, that we can understand. That we can mm-hmm. go, oh, I know what he's saying. He's saying this. And again, I may yeah. o- I may overread something a little bit. I may underread something a little bit, but I can't counterread it. I can't make it the opposite. I can't make it be something that was not intended to say. Exactly. And so, I mean, that gets into a different discussion for another podcast of hermeneutics and interpretation. The point of this, this conversation that we're having right now, is simply to say that Everybody has to come to the conclusion of where they're going to put their trust and authority. Yeah. Where am I going to begin my discussion? And I find it all the time in our culture, this idea that we can't do that. Like, like, and, 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 but what we end up by doing is inserting other authorities. Yeah. Everybody you can't does. do that, but you're still doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is what people do all the time. Well, why are you trusting the scriptures? How can you entrust interpretation? Well, I think that's what God, I think clearly that's what God says and that's what God did. And, yeah. and uh, this is what he gave us. Now, another aspect of this, maybe this is getting too far, but some of you will say, well, yeah, but you, you know, you're, um, aren't you caught in some circular argument, Dan, because you're using the scripture to talk about the scripture. You're t- using the scripture to talk about God speaking. Well, in a certain sense, it's really true. You'd have to have this discussion. But like, if I'm going to appeal to a final authority, I can't appeal to a different authority for a final authority. Right. (laughs) The minute I say, well, science proves my Bible. Well, now I'm saying science is my authority. Yeah. See, when you appeal to a final authority, that is as far as I can appeal. I can't go any further. I rather say my Bible proves science. (laughs) Right. So, So my point then becomes... It's, it's self-attesting of itself. And you take that self-attestation of itself and you compare it to the world you live in. You compare it to what's in your soul. You compare it yep. to, uh, you know, and you come to this conclusion. And then supernaturally, I would say the scriptures tell me that it's a supreme work of the Holy Spirit to open my heart and mind to that. Mm. And then when my heart and mind is open to that and I step into it, I find it really to be true because it fits the world I live in. Yeah, there's a good clarification that you just made, and I was going to bring it up. Yeah, this idea, and this is where the, uh, uh, especially the French philosophers in the uh, the time of the Enlightenment, uh, 1700s, 1800s, that time, where they they just had a high view of man that man's reason is able uh, to get to the truth, like he can reason himself to the truth, and so yes. Uh, we do believe by faith, and we trust in these presuppositions and these 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 things that we we start. It's our first domino. Domino. <laughs> Can't say that word. <laughs> and then you know we then the the next consecutive don, dominoes. <laughs> Come on, uh, spit it out. They fit. Sam. They're spit ordered. So the point is though is it. What we're saying can make it sound like a human being could just start with himself and then piece together all these pieces of evidence and then come to the conclusion, oh, God does exist. Oh, he did die for my sins. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I should put my faith in him and trust that I'll have eternal life by, you know, by the blood of Christ and the cross. The thing is, though, is that there still is this reality that man is fallen and depraved and he has a wicked heart because of the fall that we talked about with Adam and Eve. And that they were deceived by Satan, and they did eat of this tree. So 
now the point is is that we need a new heart now we need a new we need uh, a new nature in order you could say to start with the correct presupposition again because because of sin every human being uh, does suppress the truth as Dan said in the very beginning the spring we do push the spring down and we do suppress it and we we do say uh, yeah I see all this evidence I'm going to suppress this evidence for God because I by my nature now is sinful am going to start with autonomous man I am the center of my universe type of thing and therefore then because now you you start with you know autonomous man because you're sinful because that is your new nature you will not get to the conclusion that I need to put my faith in Christ and believe in him. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Jesus says to Nicodemus, do not marvel at this. You must be born again. You need a new heart. You need a new nature. Yeah. So again, and that's where the, uh, the enlightenment you know, philosophers fell into that error. They think, oh, man's, man's uh, will isn't affected by sin. Yeah, his behavior might be. Yeah, his emotions might be. Uh, but his will is... His will isn't, so he can reason himself to uh, truth, to this knowledge of God. Yeah, say, say that can't. last statement you just said. They they, uh, they said what? Well, they they thought man, they thought their wills weren't affected by the fall or by sin. Therefore, then I can start with myself and I can reason myself to. Uh, a true understanding of God that I need to put my faith in Christ or blah, 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 whatever it is. Yeah. And that's not the case. Yeah. They need a new nature. Yeah. No, I don't know about the French philosophers you're talking about right now. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. But another way to, to say that would be a little different than what you said. And that is that they thought their will was corrupted. There were people that thought their will, this came out of Aristotle. So yeah. back, back in the Middle Ages, uh, there was this idea that your will was corrupted. In other words, uh, there was a moral truth, but you couldn't quite pull off the moral truth because your will was corrupted. Your desires were corrupted. And the idea was that your mind, your thought patterns were not. Oh, that's what I meant. Yep. Good clarification. That's what I meant. That, that is what you meant. That's what I'm trying to that's say. That's what yeah. I meant. Yep. But, I, I mixed up my words. Yeah. Yep. That, <laughs> yeah. That came from, there's a, there's a long history of where that came from. But the Reformation which yeah. was a reclaiming of the biblical perspective. The biblical presupposition said, no, 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 your entire being has been tainted by sin. Your, your right. more, it's not just your moral will. It's actually the way you think is wrong. Right. And you need that to be changed by God so you can see clearly. Yeah. And so here, I have this little story here. This was, uh, I'm just going to abbreviate it. There was this Dr. Uh, Emile Callier was a French philosopher who uh, um, was in World War I uh, and as he sat in the trenches, he found himself reflecting on the inadequacy of his world and life view. His worldview just wasn't fitting the world around him as he saw it. So he, he began to ask himself many questions. You know, where do we come from? What's all the meaning of life? Uh, what do we do with science laws and theories? Uh, so what he did is during a long night watch, as Callier began to long for what he came to call a book that would understand me. Okay, so he was highly educated, but he knew of no such book. So when he, he was later wounded and released from the army and returned to his studies, he determined that he would prepare such a book secretly for his own use. And as he read for his uh, schoolwork, his courses, his PhD in philosophy, he would file away passages that seemed to speak to his condition. Afterward, he would copy them into this leather-bound book. 
He had hoped that with all the quotations and all that he'd studied, and he carefully indexed and numbered, but it would lead him from fear and anguish of his worldview to a release and a jubilation that would give him make sense of his world. Okay. Well, the last day came when he put his finest touches on his book, the book that would understand me. He went down and sat down and opened up his anthology. And as he began to read, instead of release and jubilation, disappointment came over him. And as he recognized, instead of speaking to his condition, the various passages only reminded him of their context and of his own work in searching them out and recording them. In other words, they were just his own thoughts put on paper. Then he knew the whole undertaking simply would not work, for the book was a book of his own making. It carried no strength of persuasion. Okay? Now, here's what's fascinating. Okay? During this time, when he's working through this, his wife had encountered a little uh, uh, missionary uh, in a French village from uh, part of the Huguenots. Have you ever heard of the Huguenots, Sam? Yeah. They had a lot of influence up there in North Dakota, yep. where, where you're from. Okay? So anyway, uh, they, anyway, long story short, they gave her a Bible. And she had never really been exposed to that sort of thing. And so she kind of, uh, she got a Bible and uh, the pastor gave her one. And she began apologizing to her husband for she knew his feelings about the Christian faith. He was against all this stuff. Yep. But here's what happened. He was at this point after a disillusion of his own book. He said, a Bible? Where is it? Show it to me. <laughs> And he took took it. He took it and he began to read it. And lo and behold, long story short, as he read it, he said, "I found finally found the book that understands me." <laughs> and it talked about his sin and about his own evil and about his plight, yeah. about his anxiety, yeah. about his alienation from God. And of course, it gave him the answer. The answer was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, right. long story short, this man ended by becoming a. a, a a Christian, and not just becoming a Christian, he ended up by moving to America and becoming a professor at Princeton Seminary. Oh. His name was Dr. Emile Callier. <laughs> so the point was, is this is the idea of, it's called self-attesting. He stepped into it after he was disillusioned with his own life and worldview as he saw the plight that he was in. And he said, there's got to be a different answer. And he began to read the word of God. And God opened his mind and his heart to the mm-hmm. reality of this. And it actually mm-hmm. fit the questions he had of the real world. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and so, again, this comes back to this issue of authority. So we live in a culture. A lot of people listen into your you know, podcast. And my only point that I say all the time is whether you're the atheistic scientist, materialist, uh, mm-hmm. you're, uh, you know, you go more towards Rome, Roman Catholicism, you go towards Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower, uh, no matter where you go, what you do, you have to, at some point come to this conclusion. What is my final authority? What am I going to trust as my authority? Yep. And the point, yep. and all the point I'm trying to make is everybody does this. Everybody wants to scramble and find authority. And apart from the word of God, everything comes up pretty empty. I think you were saying, Sam, you noticed this during this recent plight of our culture with this COVID thing. Yeah, like totally. Even even you you put two scientists in the room or two group of scientists, meaning two group yeah of, these these experts experts two group of doctors and they can't really even agree. Yeah, they just agree. And then you got to go. Okay, who am I going to put my trust in? Isn't that crazy? Yep. And then and then just like Eve. Okay, here we got God and Satan. Okay, 
they disagree. Who am I going to put my trust in? Who am I going to believe? Yeah. And now the the ultimate authority rests on you. Again, yeah. it's always it always eventually comes to you, the individual autonomous man. I'm going to decide myself. Yeah. Who's the authority? Yeah. And when I do that, therefore, then I become the authority. <laughs> so you know, every person has to come to a conclusion where they're going to put their trust. And so right. I, I will tell you again, I I come to a place in my life that I have trusted that. The God who is actually exists. Yep. He actually is here interacting with us right now. Yep. He can fully speak to me in his ordained means. Again, his chosen means to communicate with me as Jesus showed those men on the road to Emmaus and following when he met with the disciples is his very word. Yep. And when we open that word up, we can go to the living God and say, I want you to speak to me through this word. Mm-hmm. And, re- and remarkably, that's how I came to know Christ, actually. Um, I stumbled into the, uh, a book of the Bible. I was not a yep. guy that read the Bible. I wasn't interested in the Bible, but I heard a guy talk about Christianity and how he sought out to disprove it, and he challenged people to read yeah, actually a particular book, and I couldn't find that book called The Gospel of John. I didn't even know what that was. And I ended up in a different book of the Bible. But through reading that other book, uh, actually First John it was called, the John with a one in front of it, um, that's where I met Christ. I came to know Christ. All of a sudden, yep. I realized yep. that I'm reading this like this is true. This is real, and my yep. and he that doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. And I thought I don't have the Son. I'm I'm perishing. Now, why did I even have all those thoughts? Because God was working in my life, opening His Word to me. Yeah, that's the amazing thing about the Word of God. It, it's it's also has this supernatural side to it. it. It, the Word of God, you know, is the power for salvation. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it has the power. The Word of God has the power. These propositions, in a sense. Yeah. It's crazy. The Holy Spirit uses this propositional Word to change us and make us alive. There's a supernatural reality happening when somebody is saved through the Word of God by the power of the Spirit. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And then, the Word of God is also the means by which we grow in faith. Yeah. Again, this, this reason, okay, the Word of God has changed me. I have faith now, so you you go back to your analogy of, okay, you're on the jet, and you're riding the jet now, and then you realize that as you now walk by faith in this life as a Christian, you also start to grow in faith. Yeah. Uh, so there, this faith is a tremendous thing. It, it, we are saved by faith. We walk in faith now, and now we, we also, as we walk in faith, we grow in faith. Yeah, and so— you already read it. I read this earlier. You read it. Let me read it again. But no, yeah. first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Yep. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And it's yep. the same way. Uh, the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit, the very presence of God attends, attends the scripture. Yep. He, so when you engage the scripture, you say, Lord, I want to know you. I'm coming to seek you. I want to know what you have to say. And you pursue the scriptures as a real, you know, real verbs, real sentences, real propositions, a real paper given by a real person. And you pursue that. The Holy Spirit attends that and opens up your mind and your heart to the reality of what's there. It's what God yep. does. This is the amazing thing. Yep. And this becomes my authority by which I live by. Hey, one last thought too, Sam. I know we got to close pretty soon, but one thought I wanted to say. Um, when we're talking about fields of study like sociology or psychology, one of the things we want to make sure that people don't hear us, what is it? Don't hear me not say. 
God. Yeah, don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Yeah, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's what I'm going to say. Okay, so don't hear what I'm not saying. Obviously, we talked earlier about general revelation, natural revelation, meaning God has truth in our world. And the Bible is not exhaustive, which means there's other things to learn and grow that the Bible may not specifically be addressing. And we can look to those things. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, however, I'm going to go back. I have to be very cautious when I learn those evidences or see those things out there, uh, how I interpret those things. And those things always have to be interpreted, interpreted through what I decide or what I trust as my final authority. Yes. And not the reverse. Right. And this is what happens, right? We go, we find something out and say this, you said it earlier, the current day social justice world, you see people do this. They come up with an idea that came from sociology or critical race theory, which is driving the current cultural moment of social justice. And they bring that idea back to the Bible and try to find a Bible passage that looks like it affirms that. Yep. That's the problem. It's and, like, and, okay. In his church history shows us this is the the really the incredible thing about liberal theology. Liberal theology can can show its ugly head in all sorts of different ways. Back then, liberalism in in Christianity, back where it really started in the mid eighteen hundreds, uh, late seventeen hundreds, this is where it really started to birth. It came out of the Enlightenment again. Man's reason, man's mind uh, is is not corrupted by sin, and he can reason himself to truth. And so then man is starting to make these incredible scientific discoveries. Think of Charles Darwin, Origin of Species, Galapagos Islands, all this incredible stuff. And now what man starts to do is now he now makes science his ultimate authority, and then he imposes it back on the scriptures. And he says, uh-oh, uh, I don't think these miracles that I see in scripture really fit with my science uh, that can't happen. And so then you get this whole discipline of called, it's called higher textual criticism. So now we are going to criticize the text of scripture uh, through this lens of science and the material world and miracles can't happen and everything's according to these natural laws that we're starting yeah. to discover. And But that's just liber how liberalism is. You take something outside of the Bible and then you impose it on the Bible and you read it you read the Bible through that lens. Back then it was it was it was science. Uh, today it's it's social justice and sociology. That's yep. what liberalism is. Yep. And so, you know, as an exhortation, as we I know you need to wrap up here, you have to go, but um is to come to the conclusion where are you gonna place your trust? And as I've already said, I'm gonna trust that God actually exists. He's good. He has a complete yep. capacity to speak to me. He does yep. in his word. And I'm yep. going to try to, to the best of my ability. I'm going to start with that as my lens yep. by which I try to assess all other things. Right. And I'm exactly. going to work it now. And, and it's a continual work, uh, but it can be done. And uh, a, 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 a very personal example would be something we've talked about in other podcasts as you and I've traveled, right? We can walk into a room of men and women from like last winter, you know, 11, 12, 15 different nations, many different walks of life, different ethnic groups, different tribes, different languages. And when we open up this word, it is a most unbelievable experience to see it make sense in the most intimate area of people's lives uh, mm -hmm. to everyone in that room. Mm -hmm. 
Everyone, exactly. everyone in that room. I met a man a few few summers ago who would be 109 years old right now. I wish I had time to tell you that story, but fascinating to stand with man. When I met him, he was 106 from the, from the mountain, from some tribal area, mountains of Ethiopia. And here he had the same Bible as I had and believed the same things that I believed. And think about that. We couldn't be from two worlds farther apart. And here he was, he started his ministry in 1930 is when he started yeah. his ministry at the age of 20. Isn't that a kid? Oh. Came to know Christ. And you just can only imagine his experiences for the last uh, 90 years now almost with the Lord. Phenomenal, just phenomenal. But knew the same truths I did. Worshiped the same yep. God I worshiped. Knew the same most intimate things in life. Could sit there and have a conversation with me about the most important issues of life. And you're right. like, wow, how's that work? Well, it's because this has been true for thousands of years. Yep. So I can go, have the same authority. Yep, it's the same authority. So as people are listening here, I, I, I want to exhort you to come to a place you say, okay, my final authority isn't this guy. It isn't this book. It isn't this thing. It isn't that thing. It's the scripture. And, yep. and I'm going to put my trust there, and I'm going to try to do my best to learn how to start with my scripture as my lens by which I assess everything else. Awesome. Well, I'm going to I'm going to close this out with uh, yeah. a piece of scripture that I feel like we would be doing a disservice if we didn't read it. It's <laughs> 2 yeah. Timothy chapter 3. Listen again to the, these two aspects of the word of God here as as Paul's writing to Timothy starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which is the scriptures, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Yep. And that's, there it is. And that's the doctrine. And there's a bunch there, but one of the key doctrines that came, is getting missed this day uh, is sufficiency. Culture, sufficiency. It, it is sufficient it is. for what I need. It really is. And it so really I don't need, not that I can't learn things from other books. I get that. But I really don't need that for life and godliness. I'm going to start. Nope. I'm going to start with this. <laughs> right. Okay, my friend. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. Good. Right. Well, again, thanks for listening to uh, the Preach and Persuade podcast. I hope you. Continue to uh, learn about Scripture, and, and hopefully, uh, as the title says, you're persuaded to the to the truth of Scripture. And again, you're persuaded that your ultimate authority is deed God and God's Word. Uh, so if you've enjoyed this uh, podcast episode, I encourage you to share it with a friend or a family member or whoever you want. Again, thanks for listening.